0: In this episode of Agile After Dark, we have a very special guest joining us to talk about IO psychology and how this practice goes hand-in-hand with our work in Agile, specifically around organizational and cultural change. And we get to take the new space-inspired Agile After Dark studio for a spin.
1: Welcome to Agile After Dark, the podcast that addresses Agile topics not talked about in the light of day. I'm your host, Greg Adams Woodford. I'm sitting here, and my co host, Brandon Gartley, is sitting there. As always. So, today's episode is IO Psychology and Agile Breaking the Resistance. And to help us understand this rather new concept is Carrie Overman. Uh, Carrie has a master's degree in industrial organizational psychology and is a practicing HR IO consultant. So, I'm going to ask you to tell us about yourself a little bit, but I think you know Brandon, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yes, um, I think you did a great job introducing me. So uh, you'll have to fill me in on what else you want to know. But uh, yeah, Brandon's my hunky husband. Hunky I'm, husband. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm writing that down. That
1: is just new intro granted yeah. my hunky That's my hunky I... co-host hunky yeah, can i'm can writing I say it, it down yeah, hunky husband i can't well, say husband I'll just say yep. hunky
2: yeah. he's taken greg <laughs> okay
1: all right all right i'll back off okay <laughs> so k- how did you get involved in this um in this field did you start out in hr or did you start out where what how did you get involved
2: no so actually i had always heard about this it's it's been around for you know 30 plus years And I had always had an inkling to want to study this as I have an undergrad in psychology and really wanted to focus on business and how psychology plays a role in how uh, people work together, how they perform at work, how they're able to achieve their best selves in, in a work setting. So just really always been a fascination of mine and, and sought to pursue it by getting investors and, and really uh, putting it to work in the workplace. All right,
1: well good. So you're here in the After Dark Studio, newly improved uh, After Dark Studios in the Heartland. Um, again, we've moved just a, a little ways from the original location. Um,
0: our cat, our favorite cat, uh, is still here. Yeah, Sassafras is uh, definitely still around. Uh, she was, I would say, heavily involved with some of the reconstruction of the studio because every single time I made a move, I had to shoo her out of the way. Okay, so what,
1: so the reason that I think we um, are talking about IO psychology in Agile, and I'm not even sure what I understand what IO means, uh, is because... In the Agile world, as we know, there's a lot of resistance to organizational change. Um, And as we talk about, it's easy to learn some of the Agile principles uh, and whatever flavor and or uh, framework we have with that, but it's hard to have behavioral change that's consistent and persistent. And so what we wanted to do is explore a little bit about what this IO psychology and agile means. And of course, we wanted to bring in the expert to talk about that. And this is, I think, more about cultural change than it is about anything else or organizational change.
0: Yeah. And I want to add to that. I mean, so, I think uh, the past podcast we've had, have kind of been building up to a lot of this, which is, you know, we kind of talked about what agile kind of misunderstandings are, and we kind of went all the way to transformation we get to transformation, we, we talked numerous times about cultural change, organizational change, and as 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 much experience of the people that we had coming on talking about Agile and transformation, there's only so much that, from an Agile perspective, that I think we kind of run up against a wall. We talked about with Steve with DevOps, we talked about with Shiloh with Transformation, we talked about uh, with Danny in terms of coaching versus consulting. But for this one, I think that I kind of think they go hand in hand because they kind of have a lot of parallels because and, and, I've obviously talked to Carrie about this quite a bit, uh, and she's actually helped me quite a bit as a coach. Is this uh, what you talk about when you're just like, you know, the TV's on and you're like, hey, you know, let's turn
1: the TV off and just talk a little bit about IO psychology? Yeah, that and cats. Okay. All right. I just wanted to make sure. No, I think that's a really important, important part of this conversation because I do think, again, we talked about transformation, a, a word that's overused. And we're, you know, we're always trying to promote transformation, but I think again we leave a big part of that out, which is the actually the organizational change part. So I think what we're going to talk about today is very apropos to that, and what real transformation might mean if we would add something like this to the model.
0: Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, I think we we run into a lot of times with organizations. You know, we as we, we're quick to say, well, leadership didn't buy in, right? Or, you know, the the rules didn't match up with what we have in our frameworks, right? And that those things because of that, that's why it failed. And I think that, you know, we're talking with Carrie and she'll certainly go into the details about this, it's, you know, the the combination of who the individuals are within an organization, how the organization deals with them, but also that there is kind of there's some science behind it. Right, Carrie?
1: Oh no. This is I knew there was a reason that you invited her. It was this whole nerd science thing. Once again, it always comes up. So here's what I want to start with. Let's go back to the basics, because I, again, don't know anything about it. So is this HR? What does I.O. stand for? Like, I'm not sure I understand how these things fit together. And I know what HR is. HR is human resources, right? It means that people get paychecks and they get benefits and if they if, some, if they get onboarded if they get they get onboard if they get in trouble they get on a pip a, you know performance <laughs> plan whatever it is well, but that's from experience? Yes. Eric? No, not exactly. Not exactly, right. but I do have a lot of experience with HR and I'm actually a big believer in HR as 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 not a um, you know benefits management organization but something that drives inspiration through an organization but typically that is not what's happened i've been lucky in startups to have those experiences so i have an appreciation for hr on that level but i think mostly that's not what hr is so what is this io thing and how does it relate to hr
2: yeah so industrial organizational psychology is what io stands for and it's a science of human behavior as it relates to work and there's a lot of uh opinions out there and and certainly Everybody's shapes their experience, but certainly the distinction between IO and HR. It's really, um, IO is much broader and is focused on the development and applying solutions to work challenges and really thought of as being more strategic and scientific to create structure policies procedures things like that whereas hr is traditionally thought of more transactional and tactical meaning it is a critical business function there to support the strategic goals of the organization i think both are aligned on that that fashion but it's really how are the people going to line up to perform the objectives of the organization and that's really also tied into what you're probably talking about more around, along the compliance to labor laws and standards and things where where it really gets mired into that where traditional gets it, the traditional HR maybe gets a bad rap.
0: Yeah, and I think that um, in terms of kind of it being more about the organization and individuals and how they work within the organization rather than kind of you're saying fairly or unfairly, HR kind of gets pigeonholed into I am this, taskmaster for the individuals of the organization and i am kind of like taking them through the different parts of the process whereas it's interesting in terms of kind of the the the, the organizational side of of io because as i'm one to do right greg uh he knows what's coming he knows what's coming (laughs) is that in a you know kind of relevant to the agile space there's been a recent study that found that some of the top challenges with scaling agile is the the current company culture is at odds with agile values, and then further ones that are very high up on that list too were, um, you know, other related issues of not having management support and organizational resistance to change. And I think that is a lot of the things that we've been talking about, and kind of I think a good place for maybe us to start is kind of talking about company culture and kind of how, you know, IO looks at that. You know, whether it's similar or different from, from Agile. All
1: right. So it's something that we've talked about, as Brandon mentioned, a lot is about changing corporate culture and how resistant it is. And I think, for me anyway, I think the the, the hardest part of it is, is, first, there's a commitment by leadership, but also it just takes a lot of time. And it takes time for people to change their behavior. And I think that's one of the issues is it doesn't give – they don't give people enough time. I mean, this is about humans. It's not about process, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's part of of why we have that issue.
2: Yeah, I think um, a lot of reasons why people also have trouble with co- corporate culture is that they need to um, determine what they stand for and what they're behind. And so I agree with you that it really takes needs to stop or start from a top down perspective. And this is we're committed to it. We're we're living and breathing this or we're we're treating this as though you're on a developmental cycle just as you would a child to to learn it and really adapt it and and grow forth from those values and perspectives and, and really enhance it as their experiences develop within that practice. So I agree with you that that's a a common thing. And I also think it's just a human nature to be resistant to change in general (laughs) And, and also there's a financial constraint of we need to see results immediately, right? And so that's a, those are a lot of reasons why you would pull away from something really quickly and not wait to see sustained results. And so I think that that's really what I run into mostly.
0: Yeah, uh, someone knows a little bit about finances and finance restraints. It makes me like I'm a
1: finance person, which is not no, true. No, no, that was Steve last but, time. But right. No,
0: no but you was like – how am I going to pay for it? But yeah, yeah.
1: but which is true. And so, what, what you're saying though, too, is the biggest investment in an organization is in the teams who do the work, right? Absolutely. And so, if you can't align the, the especially when it comes to vision and inspiration, and you can't align people to those things, they're not going to do, you can do a lot of things with people who you may call mediocre if you provide that vision and inspiration.
0: And I think one of the things with, with talking with Carrie in the past that's been really helpful to me is, you know, IO has a, you know, a, a long, we can't get into all, we could actually probably have a podcast about this alone, which is about motivation, right? And how you awesome. motivate your people. And, and I think, you know, I don't know if Carrie, if you can speak to that more, because you know much more about it than I do.
2: I think that one thing is just really, first of all, getting, understanding p- people's core factors and motivation and creating the environment where there's, you know, there's high uh, the hierarchy of needs, as many people know, where Certainly, I can't really breed a motivation in someone if they're always feeling scared they're going to lose their job, or you Mm -hmm. don't have, uh, Mm -hmm. you're creating the scarcity and feeling of. unwell being you know they're just they're really um, not able to actualize through and adopt the process because they're not truly in it they're truly mitigating factors that are um, just a distraction and so really providing a commitment like getting back to what you were saying is just you're committing to this you're in it for the long haul you recognize there's going to be pain points and you're willing to take the financial break because you understand the true value of how a motivated person comes to work willingly, right, comes on right, time, right, right. And, you know, early. Even, I, I say this, you know, this all the versus... time with the
1: with the agile stuff is when you actually truly tr- change an, an agile team, or an agile team adopts you know mm-hmm. the agile principles. A team they they come to work because they want to come to yep. work. They're happy, and if you see that team versus another team who operates in a more traditional project management type, and they don't have the leadership to provide that inspiration, it's a very different thing. And that's kind of about job satisfaction. And I know there's this occupational health and well-being thing. Sounds very hippie to me, but I don't know if you (laughs) want to talk about that. And by the way, I'm I'm the one who's always said that Agile's, when I first learned about Agile, I said, you know, it sounds very dirty-footed hippie. We're just (laughs) going to defer commitments and all that stuff. But really what it was doing, it was just speaking to the fact that the world changes and people need to be able to respond and yeah. that's really yeah. what you want to teach people to do
2: yep and you also want to create that i like about agile which is something that's you're seeing more and more incorporated into organizational performance management or just anything is this continual two two-way dialogue so there is no sense of being out of touch and really not being able to respond to what the employee truly wants or needs or the obstacles that they face in order to address them in, in a timely fashion is really important um and empowerment to, too to, right to, to say that you're yeah. part of the
1: team you you we want to listen to you because you probably have some good ideas because guess what you actually do the work
2: exactly and that's been uh something that has been newly recognized or re-entering the thing this is it's just really the frontline managers or the the day-in day-out workers of our producers that they're really the ones that are going to be the the best people to consult for changes needed or uh, that's where the best ideas come from because they're, yeah, they live and breathe it and, and really have a passion for making it better. So
1: I have just a quick story, Brandon, and you can cut this if you want, um, but there was a situation in which we had a, a big group of people, a big team of people that were over 100 people and um, they were doing great and they were working in an agile fashion and they were learning to work as teams and they were forming teams and they were doing their own thing and and really being productive and hitting their commitments and then a a, a decree came down from on high which they didn't even know who that was and -hmm. they said you will do this by this date in this time frame and you're going to get this done and you saw the team start to unravel because precisely because the managers decided, oh, well, you know what? We're going into room, and we're going to figure out how you all are going right. to hit this date. And even though you do the work, and we don't do the work, and we don't even know what you do, we're going to go right. make the decisions, and then we're going to hand that to you and tell you what to do. And here's the result of that. Hey, we just work here. I'm just going to come into work. If you're going to tell just tell me what to do and not include me. Because I actually, if you put us in a room and had us help figure out the problem I bet you we would do it right. in half the time and we would get there but you just telling us what to do just makes you feel like I'm just a factory worker I'm just coming in here
2: I think you're you're hit the nail on the head is that that's often that's a, a really common complaint and thing that is a big miss by companies by not involving that but it, I do also say that there I can see the other side of it where there's the challenge of um, too many cooks in the kitchen or who is it that we consult? How are we recognizing wow, the people that you wanna consult? And yeah, so a good point. and also that slows down decision making. So although it gets you there, it's just one of those things that really I, I see where it's always gonna be this battle of of how are we gonna to come together to come across if you create this um, environment where you're listening opinions all the time before the problems arise. That's really and and having this dialogue in a way for those communications to happen is probably gonna lead to the best results versus when we're in a critical position of needing to make a decision and of course the management's gonna rely on what's always been done and what's worked or some sort of outside consulting firm because there's also sometimes just a lack of transparency and a want to involve them on all the critical pieces at the bottom that they need to know in order to make the informed decision on you know, what needs to be taken next.
1: So did you want to expand on that? I never thought that's a really interesting thing is. is to say we all, we're an agile. Oh, just let the teams do it. Yeah. But nobody talks about the, I do a little bit to say that it goes both ways, but it's, I, it's very surface level. That's a really interesting, I don't know if you want to do it's it true. now, but I it's mean, really interesting. Bo-
2: everybody has a boss and timelines and, and things to meet. And there, it's what we're missing is, is that's, that's never going to stop. Top will come down and bottom needs to come up for it to be, effective, but you need to have, um, the whys. the, like you were saying, like, what's, what, will what really help a top-down decision is why did we come to this role? Any sort of transparency around why we need to shift gears is going to get a lot more mm-hmm. from your.
0: Yeah. And, and we've employees. talked about it in a couple of podcasts, actually, you know, it, and there's a reason that there's a lot of chatter about it right now is that in, in the traditional business world, it's that strategy to execution gap for us it may be more of the vision to execution gap from an agile perspective right but i think one of the challenges that we see is there's there's no silver bullet for this obviously otherwise everyone would be doing it but i think that you you really brought up an amazing point Kerry, which is you know the transparency and the communication is one of the best foundations for ensuring that everyone's on the same page so The people that are doing the work are motivated because they know why those decisions are being made right right? and the people that are quote unquote making the decisions they are getting input hopefully from the teams that are doing the work but you really bring up a great point is like from an agile perspective sometimes we get lost in this whole well the teams know the work best and so, therefore, they're the ones that should be driving how the changes happen.
1: Yeah, and I can give you a personal example of this. first startup I worked at, <clears throat> we were toying with Agile, but it, it really wasn't a term we used, but we, some of us were mes- you know thinking about it. And I, I, I sat in this office that was next to the boardroom where the, the, the management team would go into every Tuesday at 3 o'clock. And they would walk in there, and with the exception of the CEO, that management team was amazing, because they communicated well, they were always on the same page, they were consistent, which is what people, people want consistency more than being right. And it would come out of that room, and I thought one day, I would follow those people anywhere. And guess what we did as a company? We followed them anywhere. We did whatever they said, and we stuck together, until we sold the company, we stuck together. And even after that, we all came back together to do other companies because of that leadership. And that, that to me, that was where I first learned that. That's like, if you have good leadership, people will follow you. And I'm not talking, we didn't, there's some characters in that group, I'm telling you, as far as the, the, people, the, you know, the people who were, were working. But we would go anywhere for those people. You know, it's amazing.
0: There's the statistics out there. It's like, you spend a majority of your life at work. Right. And and I think you brought up the occupational health and well-being and stuff. I mean, there is some research in terms of uh, recently done by the American Psychological Association that 60 percent of Americans report that work is very or somewhat significant source of stress. Um, And according to the same survey, work contributes to stress more than family issues or health. I mean, if you think about that, I mean, you know, we always talk about you get married, you move, you have kids like those are the three stress. But like truth is. You're spending the majority of your time oh, at work. for sure, yeah. And so if you don't have that situation that you described where you have that we're in concert, we are communicating, we feel like we're all on the same page, the motivation's gone, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, we, we, we kind of wind up, we're just, as you said, we're just eggs. we're just here.
1: Well, and you align this disparate group of people. I mean, think about the people that you work with, the people that are from different cultures, the people that are from different socioeconomic backgrounds, the people who have had terrible jobs and bad bosses and you're trying to unite all these people or their family lives or whatever's going on in their personal lives and a good leadership team can have those people all align to a common goal if they have a vision and if they and it's easier in a startup to be honest I mean let's you know right. that's it's because you're small and yeah. you know and in a big organization it's really hard because there is a disassociation from top leadership and I just was in a meeting today talking about this and reports what kind of reports are we going to provide the leadership you know and they haven't even started working yet so they don't even know what what report would you do when you don't even know what your work is yet
2: and i don't want to devalue um metrics they're really important right creating a baseline to then know where you need to go from there and um you have to understand like how are you if there was an a and b conversation how would you let C, D, E, and F into know where that was progressing or how that was doing, giving, there's a lot of responsibility and money on the line. So I have to be sensitive to the fact that I understand why there needs to be these processes and these ways to communicate that don't make sense to the people that are in it. And they understand the inside jokes. Yeah. You know, here are me entering this podcast, you know, and not knowing these hand signals that are going on and, like, this I'm in the spaceship and what's <laughs> happening, you know, so... Uh, <laughs>
1: so now that you started talking about, um, you know, metrics and processes, I, I think it's time for a break because I'm going to start to get a little uh I'm yeah, a little shaky. Get get a little a little shaky. shaky. So uh, what we do want to do is request any feedback uh, about Agile After Dark, our topics, the way we do the podcast, our new spaceship. Um, uh, just uh, send the feedback to feedback at agileafterdark.com. <laughs> That's Kerry <Carrie> Kaufman. <laughs>
2: That's why I told him. I was like, I'm going to have to copy It's all the styrofoam from point.
1: our new <laughs> Homeland Studio. <laughs> we do need to name <laughs> no, no. the Homeland Studio. We really do. We, we should call it the... Well, we call flux it Agile After Dark Studio. The yeah, we do. <laughs> the Flux <It> is Capacitor. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Do, do, do. So we I'm, I'm punching in the day. Yeah. So Brandon
1: <laughs> right made some now. additions to our studio. Um, it was construction related. And we are now, um, it feels a little bit like we're on the Apollo 13. And we've moved, um, we've moved the studio now. Mm-hmm. And um, not too far. And, um, but now he's living in the studio, basically. So he's lived in. He's living in the Agile After Dark studio. We don't talk about what happens in here yeah. outside of just recording the podcast, right. but we do new have facilities, and we have a new green room as well.
0: Yep, exactly. And Sass is, has, has been in here rummaging around yeah. as she is the one to do. All right, so we're back. Um, and before we kind of continue on some of the things that we were talking about, uh, Sass wants us to, to talk about what it is that uh we're having a drink uh tonight? So, um, Carrie, can you can you give us uh as the as that the guest what what it is that you're you're drinking this evening?
2: Yeah, Tessa <laughs> <Saturday. laughs> is really feeling excluded here. Yeah. Um, I'm having the Stags Leap 2014 Chardonnay Barrel Selection.
0: Excellent. That's very that's fancy. That's a nice stuff. Yeah. Well, California girl. California girl having California wines. Mm-hmm. That's not so bad. Well, she but, loves avocados, too. Uh, actually, I'll go next because I think we all know what uh, what Greg's uh, having. So I'm having um, the flying dog, raging, let's just say, other word for female dog, uh, it's a Belgian IPA. Yep. <laughs> Sass literally just <laughs> broke down our sound studio. <laughs> hey, Sass, SAS, you can't like
1: break down the a little machine. <laughs> This is Apollo. No, it's Apollo. It really is Apollo 15.
0: You yeah, got, got a problem. Like 13, right?
1: <laughs> or 13, whatever it is. 14, 13, whatever. <laughs> what are those
2: teams? What are those? So what, what, eh, do you, NASA. what? do you have? Who cares?
0: <laughs> I'm having a uh, Maker's Mark. <laughs> oh, okay. Maker's Mark. Is it neat or is it on the rocks? It's neat as oh, usual. Okay. As usual. Okay. All right. So uh, before the, before the break, we had talked about as in previous podcasts about you know the. The teams are are the best ones that know things, and then the leadership, you know, they need to provide the vision. But we were having a good conversation in terms of, you know, how do you bridge that gap? Um, And I think one of the things that, that kind of is related to that is this concept of group behavior, right, Carrie?
2: well uh so what I was talking about the essential piece of creating a dynamic for effective outcomes right through a group is essentially you know aligning everything where everyone has a voice everyone you know has a participatory reason for being there right and so one thing too is just to to stage it where everybody can collaborate and and does feel as though they can share innovative ideas or um, problems and aren't set up to be meek when this is not agile, well, it does not function when you try to... Um, suppress problems or whereas in maybe in a traditional waterfall that might have been a a standard problem is that you're really finding out problems too late. So um, when I was going back in my day, I I was trying to say back in undergrad, there was a professor I was studying in and, and really just, it was studying how people's answers or dynamics change when there was an older person. So I was working with like ninth graders and seventh graders and then how when two seventh graders were paired together, they were better able to collaborate and didn't feel the pressure of, um, saying something wrong or being timid in the, in the presence of, um, you know, someone older or more experienced or a different personality, maybe they were popular, maybe they weren't, there were all these different variables that added to whether or not a group was able to effectively collaborate together. And so when you think about being a leader, you know, ha- not having too big of a voice, ensuring that you're um, making sure that maybe you're your most timid brightest mind is speaking up or you know how are you facilitating the conversation in order for that to happen and that's really key for an effective group
1: yeah and you know what carrie that absolutely um aligns with i worked in education for seven years and Mm -hmm. from k-12 and one of the one of the new kind of themes in education was was group learning. Mm-hmm. And so we' break kids into groups and it's exactly what you said. They were always more effective yeah. when they were working in groups. for exactly the things that you said. Yeah.
2: yeah, it would appear. So you also have to have bring so if I bring someone that's, an expert in their domain and you have ever all bases covered, the ideas, right? You have all the brightest minds in the room that are all no one's above one another and they're all just collaborating to come at reach the solution mm-hmm. or this deadline or whatever it is to uh, you know, product output, you're you're creating the environment for that to happen. And so by doing that you're really making sure you have the knowledge, skills and abilities that are suited for whatever in you guys' case, the user stories that you're trying to create mm-hmm. or you know, in the workforce as a whole, like, how are we building that team that's, that's everyone's a star on?
1: So can, can, but can everybody be a star? I mean, how does emotional intelligence, for instance, that people talk a lot about, maybe that's over talked about, but how does somebody who's maybe, whether they're in the classroom and they're in fifth grade, or they're a developer, who's shy, and who really just wants to work on their own, you know, piece of work, and don't want to collaborate versus somebody who has an emotional intelligence, you know, IQ that's high. How, how does everybody from that one end of the spectrum to the other? How do that? How does that work together?
2: I'm not going to lie that that's a challenge. I mean, everybody comes to the table with different perspectives, understandings, personalities, and really need to to work together. And usually, it just takes time. And kickoffs are effective, or icebreakers are ways to uncover those different differing perspectives or approaches. You're able to work within those parameters right so
0: I mean is there I mean I know we'll get into a little bit later but in terms of assessments because I know in IO it's not just the the traditional HR of you know oh there's this person and they're shy there's there's more kind of uh, we were talking about before the break the metrics and so forth around that like is there a way to, to measure emotional intelligence is there a way to better understand where people have more strengths versus others and how does, that, how does, does that, that fit in together?
2: Yeah, there's different assessments that can measure, you know, just as you can measure IQ, you can measure EQ and just your responses to situational or scenarios that are presented to you. And regardless of the fact, there's usually not always an alignment. So maybe there's fewer developers that have the emotional intelligence and that might just be... A deficit that you're going to have to work with right well, it might not so, be a deficit
1: it might just or, be what they are and you build a team around the fact that they may be introverted but they're brilliant and so in, in well, ad-
2: introversion and EQ are not synonymous like that's not so i want to be clear on that that someone that's introverted could be the most emotionally intelligent and be observing and really taking in everything that's going on and Guarding their reactions very carefully and only speaking when relevant or to, you know, really that. How, how so, dare you correct me on my own podcast? Well, I'm sorry. But yeah, no, but, but I just that's like a, be version very of fair. That's a that's a diff- very different meaning. Someone that, and to be honest, a lot of people that are very outspoken suffer with emotional intelligence. And that's usually where you have the most destructive behavior, where someone might be very, curt or direct or, or and that might not even be a sign of lack of emotional intelligence it might be a cultural influence right that's mm-hmm. coming in that you have to factor in as well and so um so yes I, I think we've gone off a topic a little bit about because there is a measurement for these different things but and then there are assessments for different skills um to to put in and then there's just the culmination of I think really the assessments where they pay, play a key role in helping people work well together is just that, again, providing that understanding. Well, I know that Greg is not going to be approachable or, you know, or he he doesn't react well when someone approaches him in this manner. But when you or say or I, this... who do
1: you mean the, the, the manager of the group? Or, uh, anyone. Or...
2: So usually a lot of. The, so there are assessments that just. personal assessments and they don't have relativity to the group but then there's several like a strengths finder or um well there's one profiles that i use that really uh, a lot are disk they can tell you in relation to other people that are in your existing work environment and really give you the opportunity to understand where a different set of um Components, so yeah. you know a, a different set of or a personality type would respond best to you. You know so. what's
1: interesting about those things because I've taken all those things. I've taken dis strength finder. Right. I've taken all of them, and it's always funny because I'm always the last one to take them in the group, and everybody's like, "Oh, I already know what you are," and they write it down, and they're always right. <laughs> um, but what I think it's interesting about those is that it gets the group talking, right? More than more than what they are the what the assessment is whether it's right or wrong. It gets the group talking about the different types and. <laughs> what I mean, it, it teaches them to learn how to communicate because they're like, oh, he's that. And then, or she's that. And you know what I mean? Right. That's, that seems to me to be the power in those things. I
2: think that that's very true. Um, the dialogue is there, but it's also a great management tool. So then if I know I have someone that's really needs to, it is an introvert or something that I know that I need to really take the time to coax them into the conversation. And really, I have to be, I'm responsible as the team leader to ensure that that all the dynamics are symbiotic, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the best outcome is coming mm-hmm. from that. So,
0: you know, we were talking a little bit during the break where, you know, there are certain people that have the skills, whether as coaches or consultants to, to read the room and, and read people really well. Uh, and they kind of look at these things and they're kind of like, yeah, what, what's the use of those things? I, I don't, I don't really see the use. Um, but the truth is, he's talking about me. So yeah, I, I am talking about Greg. But uh, I, I think, you know, even he uh, having taken that, it's it's interesting to hear you, Greg, say that there is value you can see out oh, of it. Oh, for sure. You know, in terms of the conversations that come out of it, we've been talking a lot about communication. But I do also think that for those. Whether it be coaches or people on the teams or leadership or management, you know more different,
2: trouble reading the room, right? Yeah, it, that you valuable know, to them. right? It's
0: absolutely valuable to them. But I think you know one of the things that we want to talk about uh, a- after the next break is you know kind of how does that then translate into you know as a leader, uh, as someone that wants to make sure that we're being you know innovative. Like, what do we do in terms of ensuring that? We're reading the the things that are coming out of those correctly, but also understanding, as we've said already today, kind of how the human component of that. Right?
1: And I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge Kerry, because this was gonna happen sooner or later,
0: <laughs> to tell ta-
1: tell me about innovation because I know you have a a, a background at a company that. Um, sort of had a program or a process for innovation, which I strongly disagree with. So I'm gonna be very interested in hearing yeah. your understanding about what you think innovation is, how it relates to this topic and about individuals and leadership, because I think that's a, a business cannot survive or thrive, especially in the, in the startup world without innovation, but it being more of a genetic part of a company versus something that you do.
0: Right, right, so that's, that's the cliffhanger for everyone. Uh, we'll come back after the break. But in the meantime, uh, please feel free to tell us how uh, Greg can't read a room uh, at feedback <laughs> at agileafterdark.com. Hey, Danny, you can
1: call. He's gone. He's
0: gone. Oh, he left.
1: Where's my assistant? What do you need? <laughs> no, 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 I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. the green room. Like, you you? Give me another no. card. Give me another card. <laughs> give me another, yeah. give me another <laughs> sticky. Come on, Where where's my assistant? Come on, where's my gaffer, or whatever they call it? <laughs> All right, so we're back here at Apollo 13. And we left uh, before the break talking about innovation. And I, this is something that's near and dear to my heart, having been a part of a lot of startups. And my feeling about innovation is that innovation is not a process. Innovation is not something that you set aside on a friday afternoon and ask people to innovate
0: you don't plan for it you
1: don't p word. you don't plan you know i hate the p words it's something that should be happening every day with every single person on the team it doesn't matter if you're a developer or a product owner or a product manager if you have an idea that can help the team or the company You should be able to be empowered and enabled even if you do it on your own time which is something you should be doing if you're motivated in the right way if you've got an organization and leadership that that sponsors those kinds of things that that appreciates them and rewards you for doing that and so i wonder carrie what's your perspective on having people innovate on their in their own way in their own time Like for instance, if you needed somebody to create a cough syrup that you wanted to, (laughs) you know, do, (laughs) how how would you? How does that work within the I/O, you know, uh, world?
2: Yeah. So I think you brought up a lot of great points. Is really creating a culture that values innovation and creates the framework in order for that to happen, and that starts with enabling teams to quickly. Uh, execute against ideas that um, you know may or may not be fully developed? or you know how are you I- encouraging people to to get the ideas out there and how is that conversation flowing throughout the organization? and then how are you really rewarding that? you know and continually putting that as a factor and a core value that we we stand behind innovation and want you to keep on thriving and um, creating that. So, so, yeah, just that creating that organizational citizenship behavior that I I am not just a worker of this. I have the values and the alignments of um, that I'm going to be courteous to this person's idea. I'm going to be a good sport about it. I'm going to be conscientious to the work environment around me because we're all just thinking of ideas on our feet and, and bringing them to the table that are all going to bring value to the organization.
0: And I think organizational citizenship is not something that's regularly talked about in our world greg it's not it's not a I didn't even
1: hear about it until just now
0: yeah and i think it's it's a it's a fantastic idea uh, or concept you know i think that you know greg and i came up with this idea to do a podcast just out of nowhere cuz with christy because we were at a bar and said hey we're having great conversation and we're just going to do this on our own time
1: yeah, we were talking about things that, that typically don't get talked about. And Christy, where is she, by the way? She's still in Australia. She she never even showed up for any of these things. But anyway, but but I agree with you. We th- th- this is one idea that we said we're going to take on. We're going to fund it ourselves. Um, you know, but in this, it, just in the spirit of, of of trying to show people, if you have a good idea, go out and do it. I mean, it's right. a, it's an entrepreneurial spirit. But but one of the questions I would probably ask is, uh, Carrie is so let's say that people do have this impulse to do something on their own time. How does an organization or in the leadership reward, and this kind of maybe goes into the next topic about how you assess talent and that kind of thing. How how should leadership reward something like that? So if you go out and do something on your own and you bring it to leadership and they say, well, mm-hmm. that's not on our strategic plan, which is usually total BS, mm-hmm. by the way, but it could be a great idea and everybody could think it's a great idea. I mean, how, how, how can some of those things... Work into how you would reassess your talent management strategy or your I/O strategy.
2: Well, uh, a lot of companies now are having uh, team goals, maybe metric-based goals. Like, say, for instance, if you're a salesperson, a quota. But then there's also a personal component. Or maybe or... like hackathons, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. So there's all sorts of you know personal component or or. Even further, when you alluded to my my working at Google, you know, allowing the space and time that no questions dedicated to innovative, you know, thought, mm-hmm. and just saying this is our culture. We understand that that could be looked at as a time that's not a billable time, right? Essentially, mm-hmm. that you're working at something, but we we find that we are so committed to innovation that we're willing to to do that because we know that you know one in a thousand ideas is going to be potential. But Revol- now that you mentioned Google, <laughs> um,
1: I would just say, so some great things came out of Google Mail came out of that program, mm-hmm. right? Initially, maybe let's say. Did let's, he
2: tell you that when I told him after I was listening to yours? No, that Google Mail came out. Yeah, Gmail. It's Gmail. Yeah, Gmail. Yeah. Anyway. So don't sound too old. So darker. I know. I know. <laughs> so sorry, but,
1: but, but did those? But as that program went on. Mm-hmm. Was it as successful as it was when it started? Was there something that was lost from a culture perspective, or a or an approach perspective, where it just became rote and it just became a part of this culture, but it wasn't really innovative anymore because it was just what do you do on Friday afternoon or whatever? Like, what was different from the beginning versus? I mean, I never hear about anything happening now that comes out of you know. I hear about Google Labs and other things like mm-hmm. that, but how, did it change? I mean, you you're not there any longer, but I mean, how do you think it? it becomes in if it becomes if it becomes a part of the culture in a way that is you know just now it's just another one of our departments or something like that you know that's not that's not what innovation is to me
2: well that's not i mean i think you're confusing like maintenance with innovation and- that's like saying I developed the car and then like when we had to go to assembly on the assembly line, like how is that fostering innovation? It's just, well, it's just bringing it to life comment, and then continuing it.
1: To bring it to a finer point is the corporate mothership always smashes innovation. That's basically what I'm saying.
0: <laughs> as we, as or Greg is one to do, he, he kind of goes on his rants and, you know, he, it's very funny because he worked for startups all the time mm-hmm. and then, He's like, yeah, that's where you're close to the customer. You're kind of, you're innovative and stuff like that. And then he's like, oh, these these labs and stuff like, they're not what we're really dealing with. But that's because in our world, in doing transformations, we're running into like large organizations, and they are not used to the concept of innovation. Now, I think to his point is, is that happening at a place like Google, which they were so they did so much innovation to start. Well, they brag with. about it too. Yeah, you know, and that's you know. That's another part of it, but I think that one of the things that for us that's a challenge is with the larger organizations because this is the work, this mm-hmm. is the scaling work that we're dealing with now. Like we mm-hmm. kind of started out with teams, but now with the large organizations that have a lot of bureaucracy, that have a lot of legal, that have regulatory, those are the things that we're running into. Mm-hmm. And you know, can you foster that sort of? concept of, of innovation when they just have the processes, yeah. and the plans and all that kind of stuff. And I think what I want to talk about as kind of a, a lead into that is where does it come from? It comes from leadership.
1: Yeah. And and I did we do need to get a little sound bite for Greg's rants because that was one of them. Yeah. So thank you for uh, stopping me. And really I think the the early question that I had was like you said, how does leadership and then how do you assess, you know, from a talent management and a job analysis how does that maybe play into that, and then met, more metrics stuff? Which you know, I'm gonna, I might just fall asleep on the metrics. I'm just gonna warn you. But
0: no, 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 no. You, no, we're we're good. I mean, this is all this is all valuable because I think these are the questions that our seven listeners will probably be asking. <laughs> well, there's
1: eight because oh yeah, I'm here now. Right, yeah. yeah. My extra, I asked my other cousin to. Oh, nice, nice,
0: fantastic. It. We're up to eight. We're almost getting to double digits. But I think. Uh, we're gonna to go to one more break and then kind of come back. I think we want to kind of round it out in terms of. I think we have a better understanding in terms of some of the things from an agile perspective of, you know, these are the things that we run into uh, from a human perspective, from a from an organizational perspective that agile can only go so far. And, and Carrie, you've done a great job in kind of describing how you know these are whether it be you know, organizational citizenship, uh, innovation. Um, and we can kind of talk a little bit after the break about leadership and then how that leads into a lot of the, kind of the, the tools that, that you, you use as an IO consultant, whether it be, you know, assessments, we talked about a little bit, um, job analysis, um, you know, psychometrics, things like that. Some of the tools that you use to really kind of round out the, the, the type of outcomes that we have, whether it be for change management or, or those sorts of things.
1: So, by the way, if anybody wants to make any remarks and support me on my rants, uh, request any information or give us feedback, go to feedback at
0: agileafterdark.com. I was thinking about, because that, actually that story, your, your summer story was actually pretty good. Because there have been previous stories where you're trying to like, work them out and figure them out and stuff like that. And I don't know if you got a harsher critic than... And carry
1: and I know that one wasn't very interesting and I was trying to think of one because I'm a little, I'm a little worried about, you know, getting, the getting critique. through all this material because it's very interesting. Um,
2: <laughs> I think that you're painting in me unfairly. <laughs> no, so not I not I'm oh, well, critiquing you they're, guys they're, enough, but well, it's just that I'm honest, critiqued. witty. <laughs> yeah,
1: you are very witty and sharp <laughs> and we'll see the sharp part come out, I'm sure, at least at, once or twice. <laughs> It's ironic that nobody gets that. The people who do the work, well, I guess maybe Marx got this. The people who do the work—I'm not a communist, by the way—but
0: but the people who do the work
1: actually do kind of know what. Go to them
0: to help solve the problems. Right. Well, so now that we're back from the break, Red. <laughs> now, I'm uh, co-
1: now I'm now I'm a finance guy and a communist, all in one. What? It's kind of a
0: fantastic uh, accumulation of personalities. One of the core things that we we run into in any agile transformation is performance management does not align with how we are encouraging it's a team effort there's individuals that provide a lot of value but how do we get so and i know performance management is not the end goal but there's a lot of things there's a few things core things that from an io side that you've talked about before, Carrie, is there are a few core things that need to be in place before you can say, okay, now we're really ready to re-examine how we're doing performance management.
2: Yeah, I think you're right, Brendan, is you have to really assess all the skills, you know, knowledge, skills, and abilities through a job analysis or um, just really creating what is the ideal uh Person that we need, you know, creating a job description essentially, though, even though this is a project, you know, Agile works in a project based scenario, but you really need, I know I need this skill set uh, for this part of the project, and this is um, who I recruit and define my selection methodology around these uh, predetermined skills and abilities that I need to do.
0: Yeah, and isn't part of that too? You're also, it's not who I'm bringing in, but also who I have,
2: right? Exactly. So really you do you know, want to have a skills inventory and take inventory of what you have and develop what you have on hand and then find where the gaps are and then bringing in people to fill that.
0: You know, I think for a lot of the, maybe the five of the agile practitioners that are listening to this, it seems a bit cold. It's kind of almost more traditional. But I do think that it's something that gets lost in us because we kind of have this, as you said, Greg, it was like kind of the back in the hippie, like, oh, we're agile, like we're all equal people. Well,
1: so if we say that HR then, if we define HR as this thing that has a lot of processes and it's about regulatory and benefits and all that kind of thing, and we wanted to talk a more about organizational change, right, which is kind of what you're talking about, not even getting to the cultural part. Right. So I've been... Um, I managed a consulting company um, at one of the large um, consulting firms, and we did organizational change, and we did a lot of racy charts, and we did a lot of all these kind of things, which were really mind-numbing and just added more, more process, and we know how I feel about process, and more documents and more artifacts onto things that it didn't really help anybody understand what the goals were. How, how does that also then relate to how organizational change operates today versus what IO psychology does? To
2: count on that, I do think that there is value in like kind of where you're talking about the Racy chart, a skill assessment and talent assessment, like really is valid exercise and really does provide value and I understand where your experience may have proved otherwise but without a true assessment of what you have and what you're working with how would you know how to recruit essential skills into it how would you know what to retain what not to focus on like how would you not how it's, it is a critical piece um so I don't want to Diminished. the r- racy charts are things that, that do seem highly administrative or a job analysis that is a core function within IO psychology really I want to understand how the experts of that job are successful and what are the characteristics and qualities and you know knowledge skills abilities that I need in additional recruits or um, you know what what is what is going to be the critical functionality for someone to succeed at that job it's it's really It's very important to know that. So
1: my strategy of my interview strategy, which is had been my strategy of all time, which was essentially have somebody come in the office. And I have this thing called theater of power where a person comes in your office. You're the boss. They sit across from you. You have a conversation. They know what your role is. They know what their role is. You've read the book. You've, you know, everybody knows what what the answers to those questions are. And then I've just walked them around the room and just see how they reacted. There was no measurement. It was just me emotionally assessing them and how they responded in an environment. That might not be the best approach is what you're saying.
2: So a lot of the science behind IO psychology is really determining the success uh, or the reliability of some of these in that case, you're talking about talent acquisition and how you're interviewing people, and like, interview a standard interview is actually a very poor measure because of the subject influence and you having to apply uh, structure to those interviews, making sure that everybody has the same experience. You're always asking the same questions so then be able to know make a solid comparison if you were to use interview as a criteria, but there's several other things um, that could be relevant or more critical to determining Really, what you're looking for when you're trying to interview someone is a predictor of how successful they'll be in the job. And so, is that? Were you able to walk away with that, or did you make some bad hires, or how how, oh, no, no, how no, no. successful not, was it? Maybe Never? only one. Maybe only one. <laughs> was that Brad? <laughs> no, just just <laughs> I do No.
1: When I was allowing this pretty big group of people to hire in an agile way, what it what it meant was the developers. Got a candidate in, and the whole team had to, like literally, the whole team had to assess whether they thought mm-hmm. these people were right. Now, they have no background in assessing. It was just, did they fit? That was literally the criteria. Right. This would take literally months. And the HR people who are responsible for hiring people and right. m- might have been compensated on how many people they were hiring, right? There's there were recruiting piece to that. were so frustrated. And I had a hard time because I was frustrated because I'm like, you guys can't, this is where we're, we're here to deliver stuff. Mm-hmm. You can't just like wait till you find the right person. Mm-hmm. And there really is no measurement around it either. Right. It's just, how do you feel about them? Do they fit? Right. right? And that's a very agile approach to hiring. And, right. and so it's frustrating, right?
2: Yeah. And, uh, i'll tell you a top candidate won't be waiting around for that whole process to work out so mm-hmm. you're going to lose a, a lot of top talent that's a very good uh, point. To do that. it's happened many times and
0: this is a bookend thing and we'll talk about it when we talk about when we get to that performance management appraisal with 360 you know sort of uh reviews and so mm-hmm. forth and so on i mean i know you've had yeah. actual firsthand experience with that the pluses and the minuses but i think we did do a good transition into all right. If you've done the talent assessment, you've done the job analysis. Now, if you've placed the people that you have into the correct positions, and you have some gaps, there is kind of that recruitment and selection piece, right? And how how does that kind of fit into all of it? Yeah.
2: So I think that's what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. Is like recruiting, and then maybe just not necessarily basing it on who was necessarily a right fit from a skills component, but from like a they're gonna I'm gonna work well with them component and I wouldn't I won't say that that's I won't deny that that's not important
0: yeah no well I think you know one of the things that I think from the agile side of the fence you know there's the ability tests knowledge tests Mm -hmm. there's the kind of like in recruiting how much of the testing happens and so forth and I think there's kind of conflicting opinions about that I mean do you do you kind of have a the sense of that, the value of doing that at that recruitment part of the time or versus, you know, after you already have them kind of in the fold, if you will?
2: Yeah, I certainly think that, well, it just depends upon the use of it, but certainly if you're wanting to, if there's a reason that you need to have a specific IQ or uh, because IQ is found to be a very a good predictor of of ability to perform certain jobs right and it may or may not be relevant but i assume is pretty relevant in your field and what
1: well, uh, iq or emotional iq or both well or both
2: but um but iq is something that's often tested and like a oh, wonder testing and assessment mm-hmm. so that i know that this person has the ability to cognitively take on the challenges that they're going to be faced in the job and so that's a really high predictor of success within the job right but that wouldn't be a good predictor of whether or not they'd be able to relate well with other people and so I usually say there's a good combination of things so a really good structured interview where you're tackling some of that ability to uncover their emotional intelligence partnered with maybe an IQ test or a personality test so say a salesperson you wouldn't want someone that was an introvert or something that you really want to uncover that and know they're just not going to be successful in that job I don't job. think Carrie
1: would ever hire me just you know. <laughs>
2: oh you know well based on iq probably not (laughs) yeah well
0: (laughs) all right so we've kind of you have you have what the job is you realize what you have you have the gap you're doing the recruiting you're doing that assessment what now that you have people in the fold
2: there is a value to doing it yeah before i really think there's a obvious way to then also have a mathematical criteria of why I am selecting someone or am not and certainly that's a critical component to relaying that you're not discriminating or you really are having some criteria around who's going to be the best fit for the position Um, and you know utilizing that um, across the board but then there's also like you said there's values like something like a strengths finder or something like Mm -hmm. where Maybe you don't have the luxury of selecting a team or it's been placed together like you were kind of going down the road, Greg, about. It's just um, then, okay, so we've got everybody. How are we going to know quickly learn about them so that we have that that group dynamic we talked about earlier Mm -hmm. and um, be most successful with that and then also just what what kind of pieces of the project are we going to put them on because they like quickly I know that this person is going to succeed I know I have their rap sheet from their analysis or Mm -hmm. whenever they came on the team to to know where they would shine and I want to leverage those strengths and then additionally I could take another assessment to see well how um, how are those intangibles that may not have been discovered in the job analysis, right? Because that would just be hard facts of skills and knowledge. And, and maybe I could say they have critical thinking, but um, that's not the nuance of, I don't know, what are your strengths that you found in your test, you know, that you might be, uncover that you're able to use.
0: Yeah, it's it's basically that I can be around anyone and say anything but
2: yeah <laughs> see he's perfect that's what yes. his came back with, yeah, But yeah, right as, but as, at any as, rate as a, as a coach he, he might kind of be a, out. an integrator or, or chameleon yeah. that he's yeah. able to be, be be more adaptable and and probably right. lead a lot of conversations so him being the project manager would be a great asset but well actually not so much as a project
0: manager but more as a, as a coach. coach yeah right. exactly but, uh because like i did you know i as we talked about in one podcast when christy was on she and I both hated being project managers because we had to constantly bug people about things that were that didn't mean anything and it made no sense to us. But I think that gets into what we don't think about from an agile perspective, which is you, – you kind of were explaining it, Carrie. but for, for other people, it's kind of that, that psychometrics, which is it's not just we're doing this one sort of thing and, and analyzing who they are based on one particular – was a personality test or a strengths test or what have you, the psychometrics also expands to, well, what do we have as a team? Because mm-hmm. not the individual, right? We're, we're talking about not right. just from an agile perspective, but from right. an I.O. perspective, collective. right? It's a collective, yeah. mm-hmm. right? So if I, I don't have a strength in terms of, you know, keeping everything in order because I hated being a project manager, but I have the ability to engage people that are – As Greg said, maybe introvert, or 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 maybe have a lot of emotional intelligence, but they don't want to like give that feedback. You put those sort of things together and kind of can see a array of your team and where you have some some gaps possibly, or where you see that people are balancing out other people.
1: Well, so and I'll I'll, carry. I've told you this story before, and maybe this is kind of how we can. end. I I was the world's worst project manager. I hated every part of it. I hated the detail. I had no skills. I had really no skills in general. And the woman, the senior vice president of HR, um, came to me, and I I went to her. Actually, I went to her, and I said, you know, I I just don't know what I do. I somehow still have a job here, but I don't really know what I do. And she said, well, you know, you really don't have any of these skills that we put down on the sheet. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's this and that. But... She said, what what you do is you can read a room, you can talk to people, and wait, that's what you need to focus on. Mm-hmm. And it was the best advice I ever got in my life because it wasn't, I was feeling like a failure because I didn't feel like I had skills. I always felt bad because I wasn't as smart as the people around me. But she said, but what you can do is you can put a room together, a, a room of people together and get things done. And she said, that's something that that, that's what you have. And that to me is, goes to a little bit about what this is, is trying to, to evaluate people because I'm like, I'm no good at this. I don't, I don't fit. And Mm -hmm. she said, yes, you do fit. And this is how you fit. And that Mm -hmm. was the best advice I ever got in my life was, Mm -hmm. no, you have this particular thing that you, you know, and I think we're born with certain talents and certain not, you know, things that we're not so good at or don't like to do. And that was the best advice I ever got. That's what, you know, got me to this, to Apollo 13 Mm -hmm. today.
0: Yeah. And I, and I so I mean, kind of along those lines, you know, we get assessed Greg did not having any tangible skills except for being around people and reading them. Which yes. Is,
2: I mean like a great manager. I Medi- mean, and so, there you go. drinking well, Nacre's Mark. Great manager. Yeah,
1: it's, we're, yeah. it's, under, it's under evaluation. Yeah. We're going to yeah. find. He
2: says nice things about you when and, you're and not by the here, way, obviously. We're about
1: to undergo this performance evaluation oh, thing, so right. we're, we should have a follow-up podcast yes, after this. I yeah, there we go. At yeah, yeah. I don't even know right. what the hell I'm right. supposed to do. exactly. And
0: then, So I, I kind of want to end with that because, you know, we've kind of taken it through the steps that it's not every step that someone that works in Iowa would do, but I think that kind of the core tenets to get to the thing that we struggle the most from an agile perspective, but we always jump to that first, which is that performance appraisal and management. And I will say in a recent study, another study, because it's just me, here we go, that 79% of global executives rated agile performance management as a high organizational priority.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: that's one thing to say. It's one thing to say. It is definitely one thing to say. However, to break from the annual review cycle or even, you know, every six-month, you know, review cycle. Yep. And it's not even talking about the timing. That's not what it's really about. Mm -hmm. It's about how do we evaluate because we're going to a project basis. We're working with teams. If we really are the organization, we're going towards an agile mindset and philosophy, how do we change how we're approaching performance management? Because you can have the most motivated people. They can have organizational citizenship. They can say that my leadership is fantastic. But if I'm evaluated on the old school, once a year, what have you done as an individual? How many units have you provided? Yeah. yeah. It all goes That's to right. crap.
1: That's right. KPIs. 30, right. 60, 90 days. Let's go. Right. Great. Same thing with budgets. Same exact thing with budgets. They yeah. do the exact same thing. We're gonna, we got an annual budget, and even if something changes radically, we're gonna stick to our annual budget, and they don't
0: change. So, from a kind of a, an IO perspective, because you haven't been as involved in some of the stuff that we've seen, but what are some of the trends that you're seeing in performance management, and kind of how that can be changing? So, let me
1: ask you. So, I'll, I'll give you an example of that. I think you can um, work from. So when we first um, started organizing um, and trying to really do this I.O. kind of stuff, even though we didn't know we were doing, (laughs) we said, okay, we're going to decentralize management and we're going to have the teams focus on even doing the talent reviews. The teams are going to do the reviews of the individuals on the teams. The managers are HR, essentially they're HR managers. They do the benefits. They do all of those things, but the teams are really going to assess the team. And that's how we're going to derive whatever their bonus is at the end of the year, their increases at the end of the year. Now, that seems like a great idea. And it actually did work until you had somebody who didn't feel like, well, I'm doing a great job when I'm like, you know, so I had have these conversations as the VP, like when I get escalated, no, the team's, the team doesn't feel like you're doing okay. And it's like, well, they're not, they're not the judge of me. You're the judge of me. So how, how, So if you, that's an agile approach. Okay, that's a, that's, that's a kind of maybe an extreme agile approach, but it's like really the team does the evaluation and a manager just administers it. So how could this help that? Because when, I, when it gets to me as a VP, I'm like, well, I guess I just have to trust the teams, but there's no governor on that.
2: Well, there's a shift from, like you said, annual performance reviews to having everyday feedback, you know, MBOs, more of a really having uh, are flexible to the business objectives. If the business objectives are set at a quarterly or the annual stakeholders are getting updates on a quarterly basis, the goal should be aligned to that and achievable in that time so that they can shift as, as the reactions or the financials are in and, and, and the budget, like as you mentioned. So that's really uh, where everything's going. It's just more bite size, more... Um, also, there's the peer feedback that you mentioned. So a lot of this multiple touch point, multi-rater feedback that's critical to getting just more data uh, as it relates. But there are challenges around the competitiveness of the environment and how what if I give this person that? What does that say about me? I, you know, I'm I'm egocentric in how I'm rating somebody and like what is it in relation to mm-hmm. the performance I think I'm giving? Yeah. Uh, but but in essence the theory behind all of that is all these data points would then synthesize into a true understanding of, you know, say we're throwing the Russian judge out or, you know what I mean? Like in the, in the mm-hmm. ice, uh, you know, ice skating Olympics version of the events is that sure there'll be anomalies and, and things that don't line up. But if you take the standard standard statistical approach that it would you know, in theory, all line out to but be it, an effective measure. Of it your sounds. Performance. It
1: sounds so complicated. And Maybe we need this is this the next version, version two of this podcast. But mm. it sounds what you just described sounds. You know, like in a perfect world, if you could gather all that information and put it, it, it put it into some sort of measure that was easy for a human being to understand, that would be great but it sounds complicated. I mean, right. how, how how where are we along that line of of where we are as is it far as making it simple for somebody like me to understand the communist economist. Yeah.
2: Well, the idea is that you don't have to so do you need to understand necessarily everything that's in an algorithm to know that it produces results. So Ooh. it is essentially down. kind of it, like do I feel like we're ever going to get to a place where everybody understands what's happening? And does it, I feel like it's always going to feel a tad out of your reach or control. Because the point is, is that it's all coming together as a synthesized data point of like, I took all of these different parameters and some of them were subjective. But mind you, the idea is that it's all objective. But we realize there's biases or things that come into play. Like I mentioned, the competitiveness or the, or, or comparative, like even as a manager, well, like, yeah, X, well, no, or I like this person better. Like all of that seems to just net out in this algorithm of performance management that it is. So, so the short answer is no, I don't want to get to a place where it's thoroughly understood, but I don't think we need to, we just need to be confident that it's coming out in a way that like, when you look back at it, do I feel like, that's fair. When it comes out with the output, do you feel like, hey, I, I feel happy and, and confident, and what it's it's giving me is all you really need to agree on.
0: You no, know, I think uh, from the agile perspective, the the key part of that is regular feedback. That's what we that is a core tenant. What we do, uh, failing fast is not um, seen as something that is held against you. Um, being innovative, people say different, but like having that organizational citizenship is not something that is seen as an outlier, but as we've created this culture, and if you're not doing that, well, what can we, what can we do to, to, to further enhance your lookout and and, and how you're approaching the work? Um, and, And I think that one of the best things about this podcast, besides always understanding that My wife is always smarter than me, is that the things that we're seeing, I think this really is the next generation. You know, we don't, as you said, we don't want to separate HR from I.O., but I think, you know, kind of the, the concept of doing iterative development grew into this idea of agile. And I think that's kind of the HR is growing into this concept of I.O. because it is kind of a... A philosophy but approach but it has some you know strong roots and even though as you said it's been around for a long time i know this has been really fascinating for me greg not only because my wife's freaking brilliant but uh also hunky. because you know she's saying that because she called you hunky earlier yeah, you know? yeah there okay. we go. that always helps but i mean i i, I do think that and greg had, and during the break had said like this is kind of like one of my missions one of my things that i'm you know uh, always looking out to is because I think that this is the next thing for Agile to really start to, instead of saying, we have a framework, we have these roles, you're not matching to it, your leadership sucks, so that's why it didn't work.
1: Yeah, and I here's what I would say. Anybody who's listening to this, and again, I gave you that story about the woman who, who, who gave me advice, seek out and think about the things we're talking about every day because you're always going to have an opportunity to – to either change somebody's perspective, to help them along, to get them through a hard time. You know, you're always going to have an opportunity to do the things we're talking about, even if you're not in charge of HR. You, Everybody has a responsibility to these principles that we're talking about here, just in the same way that we talk about Agile principles. Um, so that that's my takeaway from this. And thank you, Carrie, so much, because this has been really, I got a million notes that I took down here uh, about things that you said so i really appreciate you coming in dealing with this you for and, and, and and you know helping us launch Apollo 13 i yeah. know i was just gonna
2: say um, oh you stole you my know, joke
0: yeah yeah <laughs> we, i was we, gonna
2: say thank you for having me aboard you yeah know, I, like, well it's don't feel bad i still carry jokes all the time he does <laughs> not that funny <laughs>
0: well thanks all, everyone for listening uh i know this is uh this is for me uh, a, a definite privilege we'll probably have Carrie back on again because you know it's something special for me and probably for Greg.
1: And don't forget, give all of your positive feedback to feedback at com, and then specifically gaw feedback at com. Only the positives. I don't want any negatives, okay? No <laughs> trolls.
2: Thanks,
1: everyone. We'll uh, catch you next time. Yeah, we, we're we're going to record a whole bunch more as we drink more. Yeah.
2: I sound
1: okay. Yeah, we are. Take it easy. Take it easy from the green room.
0: Peanut
2: gallery. Forgot about them. Yep. (laughs) How would you like me to start in tonight? Oh, you had started to do your thing. Just say, okay, yes. uh, um, Yes, thanks, Brandon. Hunky husband of mine. (laughs) (laughs) Um.
0: (laughs) You can tell I met my match. (laughs) Oh, my gosh.